Amen. That's a great ministry there. Hallelujah. We've had an incredible week so far. I know it's just started Friday, but it's been good. Last night, people delivered, saved, delivered, Holy Ghost. So uh, appreciate our evangelist coming, spending time with us. Give him a hand this morning as he comes. Here we are again, amen, back in the house of God, Sunday morning, appreciate your faithful attendance with us, and hope these services really have been a blessing to you, amen, and when you are combing your hair today or fixing your makeup, I hope every demon came out, <laughs> amen, so we're beautifying the congregation, hallelujah, so John chapter 19, you can turn in your Bibles there this morning, John chapter 19. Amen. I do appreciate all the many encouraging words people have been giving me about how these uh, services are helping you. Amen. I come into a church sometimes, you know, I haven't been here in a lot, it's been a year, and you know, I don't know what's going on. Sometimes I leave churches, think I know even less than when I got there. Amen. But I'm thankful that these services are, are help to you and are a blessing to you. And I hope, uh, you know, the preaching has spoken to you as well. You know, I, I was not too long ago, just on a side note, uh, uh, we're having a revival in our church. <laughs> can I throw can I throw myself under the bus? You know, evangelists sometimes, man. You know, my wife, we're driving home Monday night, and she goes, how many more nights we got to listen to this guy preach? Until <laughs> Thursday? Really? I'd be happy if he left now, you know. So I try to put something in the sermon and lay it out that you can understand it, and you know what I'm saying, and it's clear. So I hope you're getting what I'm saying. Okay, so that's helpful, amen, because five nights with a guy who can't preach is torture, amen. So what I want to preach about this morning is the greatest power known to man. It's not quantum physics power, it's not hydroelectric power, it's not nuclear power, amen, it is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we forget about the power of the blood. Of Jesus. You know, in our generation, if you cut yourself in a public place, everybody's going to run and hide and double glove and, and they're going to want to sanitize and put down all kinds of stuff. Uh, amen. Because they don't want to touch your blood. But we need the blood of Jesus because that blood will cover us. So let's read just John 19, verse 28 and down through 30. It says, And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he saith, I thirst. And there was set in the vessel uh, full of vinegar, and they filled up the sponge with the vinegar and put it upon a hyssop, and they put it up to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. That right there is a synopsis of the power of the blood. It is finished. You know, that's the, what's so amazing about the blood of Jesus is how it has the power to finish things, to bring it to completion in your life. Amen. That when the blood is applied, it solves problems. It brings it to an end. It puts sin into remission. That's the power of the blood. So I want to just have two points this morning. But one of them involves seven things. <laughs> Amen. So I want to talk about the seven places where the blood of Jesus was shed. And then close with the application 
applying it to the issues of your life. Because you have to understand this morning, the blood of Jesus will literally touch every part of your life. Every part. The first place the Bible tells us Jesus shed his blood was in the Garden of Gethsemane. First blood. Luke 22, verse 41 And when Jesus was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you be willing, remove this cup from me, but nevertheless not my will, but thy will be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him, and he, being in agony, prayed more earnestly, and the sweat, as it were, as great drops of blood were falling down, to the ground. Now, this is an actual medical condition. It's called hematidrosis. It's a condition where the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands begin to rupture, and it causes the blood to literally come out of the pores in the sweat. This happens in extreme physical or emotional stress, where you can literally begin to bleed through your sweat. That's incredible, sweating blood. And the Bible tells us the conditions under which Jesus was in this place of physical stress and emotional turmoil. It's while he was in the garden contemplating what was coming for him, the cross that was coming, the crucifixion that was literally coming. You know, I don't know if Jesus is praying and at the same time, if you did a Hollywood split screen as Jesus is kneeling to pray, Judas at that exact moment is rounding up those Roman guards to come and arrest him in the garden, is about to betray him with a kiss. Jesus knows what is coming, and he's in this moment. You talk about a stressful moment. He said, yes, for this cause came I into the world. He knows what he's there for. How many times did he tell his disciples, I've come to die, I've come to die, but you know, it doesn't mean it's any easier now that the time has arrived. Listen, if you have a root canal next Tuesday, it, it's not getting any easier that on Tuesday morning when it's time to go that you know you've got to do that right now. Jesus knows he's going to die, but it doesn't make it easier. And so then he's crying out and he's praying. If there's any other road, there's a battle within his will. Amen. And he's struggling in the hardest temptation, the most difficult and stressful thing. We don't see Jesus suffering like this anywhere else in the Bible up to this point. Everything else is like a breeze for him. Most of the time, it's how long must I suffer thee? But here, man, he is, he's in distress. And what's interesting to me, what's relevant for you, is the condition and the location of where he is stressing. He is a stone's throw away from all the disciples. He is alone, and he is isolated. And that's where he is breaking he calls his disciples, can't you guys wait and watch and pray with me for one hour? And they fall asleep. It was back and wakes them up again. Can't you guys? And they fall back asleep again. They've, you know, and it's really kind of Jesus' fault, man, because, you know, who in their right mind calls a late night prayer meeting on a cool evening in a dark garden after a massive feeding frenzy of a Last Supper fellowship? What do you think's going to happen, man? All that leavened bread went to their eyelids, and they're all falling asleep, man. And here's Jesus going through this great time of struggle, and he is alone, and he is isolated, and no one can relate to what he's going through. Have you ever felt 
in those shoes. Have you ever had times in your life where you're going through things and you think no one can relate to what I'm going through? Nobody understands. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Amen. Except for Jesus. Amen. And that's the hope of him bleeding in that garden is that when you're isolated and you're alone and you think no one understands, you can remember that Jesus shed his blood in that same situation to cover the most emotional and stressful times that you would ever go through in your life. That blood covers you. You're covered. In the agonies of life, you are not alone. And there is someone who understands. There's a second place where that blood was shed, and that's the bruising. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. How Jesus suffered physical trauma at the hands of the guards who punched him and slapped him. He experienced bruising. What is bruising? If you've ever been injured, you know, maybe a punch or a hit or you banged yourself and then all of a sudden this underneath your skin, amen, it turns yellow or black or purple or blue all, all the colors of the rainbow happen underneath that bruise. What is happening there is you've suffered an injury and it's caused internal bleeding. The skin has not broken, so all the blood is inside. That's what a bruise is. Amen. And the Bible says that Jesus was bruised. And what it's saying is that inside Jesus bled on the inside. So he can deal and cover all the things on our insides. You know, transgression, it says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. Transgression, that stems from your actions. That is what you do. You transgress the law. Iniquity comes from the character. It's who we are. You transgress the law because you're a transgressor. When you get pulled over speeding, you transgressed the laws of the speed limit. You did that because you're a sinner, <laughs> and you're probably, probably late for something. Amen. See, we cannot do things on the outside to change things on the inside. That's why the programs fail. Have you ever tried to self-reform? I've ever tried to self-reform. Get your act together. Uh, clean up this thing. I'm going to really change this time, honey. I promise. Uh, uh, yeah, my, my, yeah, boss. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get my act together. Uh, or teenagers. Yeah, dad, mom. I'm, I'm really this time. Uh, you know, how many know that doesn't always work? You know, I was driving out of Phoenix one time up to the Prescott Conference. It was right after, uh, it was January Conference, right after Christmas. And, and the Planet Fitness billboards, you know, Planet Fitness has the best billboards. Don't they have the best billboards? And do your squats for diddly. <laughs> I love this one of my favorites. And this sign, it said, it said, Merry Fitness and a Happy New Rear. <laughs> you know, because they know New Year's resolutions, everybody wants to sign up and go to the gym because this time they're really going to change until the holiday cookie leftovers come three days later, man. If everybody who owned a gym membership showed up at the same time, there would not be room, right? They know you're going to try to reform 
but you're not really going to reform because you do not have the ability to change. I was witnessing to a guy one time in San Diego on a park bench uh, trying to invite him to come to church or the revival I was preaching, uh, and he's looking up at me, and he's telling me, uh, you know, I, I, find a, I found a higher power. I've been a, an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic. Uh, how long uh, have you been there? He said, oh, I've been for 25 years. Wow. When was the last time you had a drink? He said, well, 25 years ago. I said, wait a minute. You haven't had a drink in 25 years? I think maybe you're over it. But he knew he wasn't. Because he knew what dwelled inside of him. He knew the right circumstances and under the right pressure points and the right scenario, he could go right back off the wagon to that lifestyle. Because programs, thank God for what they do to help change some of what your actions are, but they cannot change the inside. They cannot change, amen, what dwells in the human heart. How about Catholics? We have any old Catholics and the penance you used to do, man. You do it and then go out and go right out and do the same thing again because it doesn't change you on the inside it'll curb what you do on the outside but the only way to be changed on the inside is through the power of the blood that has the ability to change those things you hate about yourself therefore if many any man is in christ he is a new creature the old things are passed away right and all things become brand new jesus shed his blood on the inside so you could be changed on your inside there's a third place that blood was shed, and that is in the thorns on his scalp. You know, the blood is shed for mind games, for guilt, for your conscience. The blood washes away the dirt of our sin, right? Hebrews 9, 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know, people, so many people, yeah, I was amazed. I was in the Solomon Islands a number of years ago praying for the sick, and we had 100% healings. Everybody we prayed for got healed. Oh, it was amazing. And I began to notice what we're praying for is a lot of broken bones, sore joints, strained muscles, all kinds of physical things like that, some witchcraft stuff, which we know how to take dominion and cast out. And I noticed not one person came up that was on any kind of psychiatric medication, and they weren't on Zoloft, or they weren't on any kind of Ritalin. It's like they didn't have some of the Western problems that we have because they're a small little third world type of nation. Amen. And as people are coming up, amen, they're dealing with these issues and they're getting healed uh, amen as the blood of Jesus is saving them and healing them in their physical bodies and I take those same sermons come back to the states uh, amen and people are tormented they're tormented mostly in their minds and they've got mental issues and guilt issues and conscience and conscience and they've got issues with how they think and how they sleep and all these issues are working in their minds you know when Jesus amen had that crown of thorns that was placed upon his scalp listen if this is not like he's pulling rose bushes in the backyard in this tiny little when I was doing that recently Thursday amen I had to cut down a tree in my backyard and as I'm pulling all the vines that were connected 
connected to the bottom that caused this thing to die out. Uh, and right through my glove, this tiny little thorn just pricked my finger. I was like, oh, man, that hurt. Listen, if you've been to Israel and you've seen the thorns over there, they're two inches, three inches long. And when they put it on, they didn't gently put it on him like, ooh, prom queen. You know, They put it down and they worked it into his head. And if you've ever had a head injury where you've cut yourself, there's so much uh, uh, vascular activity going on. It just bleeds and bleeds and bleeds. Uh, and Jesus uh, had that crown of thorns and he bled on his head. Why? Because what torments you the most is what's in your head. And how you think in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. When, when your conscience is, I know why people go to sleep drunk or high. So they don't have to listen to that voice in that time where they're half asleep and not fully awake. And their mind begins to cry out. And their conscience begins to convict them of the guilt and the emptiness of their soul. And the misery of their life. And the hopelessness of a future without God. It all comes crashing down in that midnight hour. And man, no wonder people want to put their mind onto something else or medicated so they don't have to deal with the issues, uh, amen, about getting their hearts right. Jesus shed his blood. I was working one time and uh, building a swimming pool. I had to run an electrical ditch. And, and so I'm digging through this dirt with my shovel and there's rocks and there's roots or, or roots and, and there's stones and, and all kinds of stuff in there, man. And so I had to pull all this stuff out. And of course, you know, our company's too cheap for gloves and I'm too dumb. And so I'm digging through and I've got this root and I wrap it around and I'm trying to pull this thing out, man. And as I pull it, it tears and cuts into my hand. And I look, I've been digging with my hands and my hands are covered in dirt and they're black and they're nasty and red clay. And, and I notice this blood is dripping. And so I do what every man does, man. I just, Wiped it off. <laughs> Went and looked for some duct tape. That's, I'm good to go, man. And when I wiped it, I saw my whole hand was covered in dirt, except where the blood had flowed. And that was right back to my lily whiteness. Look at that. That's what the blood of Jesus does, man. It cleanses your sin. It washes away. Now, you might get in the shower and wash off the dirt of the day or your job, but what washes your soul from the sins of your life? You know, that blood, it dripped down, went everywhere, went into his eyes. You know, some of us are tormented by the things you've seen. You saw stuff you were never supposed to see. Young kids growing up watching these horror movies, you're not supposed to see that. Man, now these kids, they get every kind of thing in the, under the sun on their phones. You're not supposed to be looking at that. You shouldn't see that. You ever seen your parents naked? <laughs> that is not right, man. I mean, those images get stuck in your head sometimes. And, or your parents fighting. Or your dad slapping your mom. Or maybe your mom beating up your dad. Who knows? We've seen things that haunt us. The blood of Jesus can cleanse that. How about right down into your ears, too? Man, that blood came down into his ears, covering the things that you hear. Like, you're stupid, you're ugly, your mother dresses you funny. And that was your mother who told you that. <laughs> We're all raised with some kind of damage of things we've heard. You're no good, you're just like your father. You'll never amount to anything. I wish you were never born. Then it also bled down into his mouth. I mean, no, we need the blood to cover the things that come out of our mouth. Words we speak, we shouldn't be speaking. Gossip and slander and all kinds of things. We need that blood. 
to cleanse us. There's a fourth place that blood was shed, and that is at the whipping post. Again, Isaiah 53, and with his stripes we are healed. You remember the Passion of the Christ movie? Didn't we watch that like 50 times on outreach? And there was that one scene, right, with the Roman guards. Uh, they took Jesus and they put him onto that post. And they began to whip him. And they pulled out that, uh, 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 that uh, cat and nine tails, uh, amen, that whip they had that literally had uh, nine leather thongs uh, and woven into that, uh, you know, it would be rock or stone or glass or sharp objects. Uh, remember that one scene with that Roman guard? He's practicing on the wooden, wooden post uh, and he, sw- and he sw- whips that post. And when he does, it goes, Foom! and it sticks right in there, man. You remember that? And then he's got to pull it and jerk it and... And finally it comes out. And when he does, the, the splinters of that board, you know, when they whip Jesus, that's what they were using. It's not like they had him go get a switch or, or somebody took off their leather belt. They were whipping him. They were beating him. They were going to beat him to death if it were not for the Jewish law that says 40 stripes is all you can do and, and do it to 39. So in case we lose count, we're still within the law. And so they're whipping this guy. Amen. That, that's it's nine different stripes. With 39 blows is 351 points of impact on his body. You know, they could not keep whipping him in the same place because once they broke the skin, hit into the muscle underneath that, they would have killed him. So they had to spread it out 39 times. They had to whip him here on the back and pull it out. Then on the other shoulder blade and pull it out. Then down low on the hips and it wrapped around. And then on the back of the thighs and the calves. And we saw in the video, man, that was so gruesome to watch as they're beating Jesus. And that's just a Hollywood representation by actors and fake blood. Can you imagine what they really wanted to do to Jesus and the hatred and the anger and the violence that they were committing upon him as they're whipping him literally within one stripe of his life. And, he said, and then they'll flip him over and they'll work on the front side. Don't you think, don't you think Jesus felt that in every single part of his body? He felt it. Man, in his joints, his ligaments, his tendons, he felt it. And his organs, his kidney, his liver, his intestines, he felt it all the way down to the marrow of his bone, all the way down. Even you have trauma, post-traumatic stress disorders. I mean, guys go through things. And what happened, the trauma of that issue, it sits literally, there's cell memory. It goes right into your cells and your molecular structure, the power of that. Listen, Jesus, when he was whipped for our healing, Every part of your body that would ever be sick, Jesus bled all over that whipping post to cover you. By those stripes, we are healed. If it's a knee problem, if it's an ankle problem, if it's a tendon, a muscle, a torn thing, if it's a pancreas, if it's a liver, a kidney, if it's your stomach, your intestines, if it's your blood, if it's your chromosomes, Jesus shed his blood there so that you could be healed. There's a fifth place where his blood was shed, and that's upon the hands. Psalm 24, 3, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in the holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. You know, the hands in Scripture really do represent something. The things you do, it's the power of a lifestyle, right? His right hand and his holy arm has gotten me the victory. 
When we come to church, we lift our hands. You know why we do that? There's three reasons we do that. One is it's a sign of surrender. You ever heard those words, come out with your hands up? Am I the only one, really? <laughs> come out with your hands up. We lift our hands. God, we're surrendering to you. Another reason we lift our hands is because our hands are clean. My grandson stole something very precious to me. My daughter had baked a plate of, my, of her famous chocolate chip cookies with nuts. And there was one cookie left on that plate that was designated for grandpa. Everybody in the house knew that's grandpa's cookie. That's his cookie. That's my cookie. I had to leave and I was coming back, but my name's on that cookie. I have claimed it. I have uh, tagged it. That is my cookie. I came home and my cookie was gone. <laughs> and my little grandson, at four years old, ate my cookie. It was easy to tell because he had chocolate chips on his hands. I said, Max, where's my cookie? I don't know. The mysterious I don't know ate it. Know what I said? Show me your hands. Some of you can't lift your hands in church because you know your hands are stained with guilt of your sin. Things you've touched. Things you've reached into. Stuff you've meddled with. Third reason we lift our hands is the same reason my grandson, after he repented of eating my cookie, <laughs> picked me up, Grandpa. Absolutely, you little thief. Come on up here, man. I love you. Can't resist that little, that little guy. I'm going to pick him up tonight. After church, I got to leave right away after church, go to Raleigh and pick him up because they're coming for conference. Sixth place Jesus shed his blood was in his feet. This represents the direction and the path and the location of our sin, the places that your feet take you to. Her feet go down to hell. Her steps take hold on hell, Proverbs 5. Psalms 119, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. Uh, you know, you can't uh, do evil things in dark places unless your feet first take you there. You know, and the, the pathways that you walk represent the destiny that you're headed toward. That's why Jabez said, God, I pray that you would change these things because I don't want to live up to my name, grief and sorrow. I want to live up to a different destiny. Help me and bless me and enlarge my coast and expand me because his name, an Old Testament name, it defines the path of your destiny. But he cried out to a God who said, I don't want to have that destiny. I want to go to a different destiny. Amen. And that's the power of the blood. Jesus shed his blood so you could walk a different path in your life. You don't have to go down that road to hell. Go down that road to bankruptcy. Head down. Walk those steps to divorce court. But Jesus shed his blood so you can walk in a different path and go in a different direction up towards him. And the last place he shed his blood was his pierced side. You know, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And who can know it? Matthew 15 18, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts and murder and adultery and fornication, theft. 
false witness and blasphemy. It all comes from the heart. You know, Jesus, when he was dying on that cross, something was happening inside his body. There's a medical autopsy written by a doctor in Arizona. He wrote it for the medical associations, the Arizona Medicine, C. Truman Davis. And he does a medical autopsy of the death of Jesus. He says, as the arm fatigues, great waves and cramps sweep over Jesus' muscles, nodding them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. And with these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intercoastal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up inside his lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending rendering uh, cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the timbers. And then, then another agony begins, a fierce, crushing pain deep within his chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. Psalm 22 says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluid has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is now struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissue. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to draw in small gulps of air. The dehydrated tissue sends their flood of stimuli to the brain. The body of Jesus is now an extremis, and he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. This realization brings out determined words, possibly little more than a tortured whisper. It is finished. His mission of atonement has now been completed. Finally, he can allow his body to die. And with one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nails, strengthens his, straightens his legs, takes a deep breath and utters his final cry. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He screams out in a final tortured groan and gives up the ghost. The rest you know. In order that the Sabbath not be profaned, the Jews asked that the condemned man be dispatched and removed from the crosses. The most common method to end a crucifixion was by crucifracture, the breaking of the bones of the legs. This prevents the victim from pushing himself up. The tension cannot be relieved from the muscles of the chest, and a rapid suffocation occurs. The legs of the two thieves were then broken, but when they came to Jesus, they saw this was unnecessary. To make doubly sure of his death, the legionnaire drove his lance through the fifth interspace between the ribs, upward through the pericardium into the heart. And John 19.34 says, And immediately uh, there came out blood and water. You know, inside your 
chest cavity surrounding your heart uh, is this pericardium sac. It's like a liquid-filled balloon that protects as a shock absorber uh, your heart from banging into the bones and other organs. Uh, and so that is a fluid. It's a serum. It's a clear type of fluid. Uh, and so when they pierced through Jesus' side uh, and the water came out uh, with the blood, uh, that water should have just come out the blood how it was mingled together. Listen, inside the lining of the heart uh, is that wall, uh, and the blood from the inside of the heart would never mix with the serum uh, that's on the outside of the heart. Uh, there's only one way that that could happen, and that's if the heart itself, uh, the wall and the lining of the heart muscle was somehow breached. Uh, and, uh, and what this man believes, and I bear witness to that, uh, amen, is that uh, as Jesus was dying on the cross, uh, amen. His, the lack of oxygen has made his blood thick. Uh, it's sludged to the heart. It's pumping harder and harder under the stress, uh, and it's under great pressure. Uh, but the moment uh, where Jesus says, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? It is in that moment that we don't know the full dynamics of how that happened, uh, but God took uh, his presence off of Jesus, uh, and somehow the sins of all of us were transferred to him in that moment when he's alone on that cross feeling the weight of your sin, of your guilt, of your shame, of your addiction, of your immorality. He's feeling all of that upon him and it's more combined with the sluggish, sluggish blood and the pain. I mean, he is dehydrated. He's lost so much blood. He is exhausted and it's more than his body can even handle and in that moment he groans. Why is he crying out? He's crying because his heart in his chest is literally exploding. He goes on to say, we therefore have a rather conclusive post-mortem evidence that our Lord died, not the usual crucifixion, death by suffocation, but he literally died from a broken heart. Listen, how many of you have gone through broken-hearted experiences? Jesus died so you could resurrect, so you could come free and be healed and be delivered. He said, it is finished. I've died in every part that would apply for you. I died from head to toe hand to foot, inside and outside. I've shed my blood on every part to cover every part of you. That is why we need to have this blood to cover us because this blood covers all of us, every nook and every cranny. It covers you from head to toe, inside, outside, up, down, all around. Everything you've ever thought, said, or done, it covers it. The things you can't change about yourself, Jesus' blood covers that. The sickness uh, that causes you to be weak and lose your faith, Jesus covers that. His blood, I mean, he shed it everywhere. So you can walk in a freedom of deliverance. Listen, Buddha can't do that for you. Yeah, he's fat and happy, but he cannot do that for you. Jesus. And the Catholic Church nailed to the cross. He's not nailed there anymore. 
He has risen from the dead. And he is alive. That's, that's why this shedding of blood works. Doesn't it always come down to the death and resurrection? Somehow in that grave, after three days, that blood somehow began to, that heart began to pump and the blood began to flow and his spirit came and he sat up and walked out of that tomb. And in that resurrection power that we accept in faith, that is what covers you. You can't go to Jerusalem today, stand at the foot of Golgotha, the place they believe it's actually on top of a hill and underneath is a bus stop. You can't go there and have the blood of Jesus fall all over you. You have to do this in faith. It's faith. Have you ever heard of Hal Lindsey, the old Bible scholar? He's a prophet, an old, old prophecy study guy. Some of you old-timers will know that name. He hasn't written a book in years. I don't know if he's still alive. But I heard him one time. I was driving in the middle of the night, and I was listening to the Art Bell Show. Anybody remember the Art Bell Show? This guy was like middle of the night, and he's uh, from the kingdom of uh, Nod, or I don't know where he's from, uh, you know, and he's into motherships and, and some space travel and time travel. And, and so one day he's interviewing this guy, this Bible prophecy guy, asking him about cloning. He said, you know, if we could just get a hold of a drop of the blood of Jesus, you know, maybe a drop of the blood from the Shroud of Turin that, you know, that the Nazis gave to the Republicans to store at the Vatican. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's a conspiracy guy. If we could just get a hold of that and clone it, think of the power, man. We could end world hunger. We could calm the storms. We could stop death. And Hal Lindsay's listening to this, and he goes, no, 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 Art. Because the miracles of Jesus... They were done through faith, not through genetics. And John's gospel tells us, greater works than these shall you do. That's why you need faith in the blood. That's why you need to receive the blood. And you do that simply by coming to an altar and in faith saying, God, cover me with your blood. When we lift our hands to give our lives to Christ, we are confessing with our mouth, believing in our heart uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, and that's all the faith you need to come down, uh, amen, to kneel at an altar and say, God, cover me. Cover me in your blood. Cover me with your blood. That I can walk in the fullness and the freedom of all that the shedding of blood can do for me. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to, by faith, cover ourselves in the blood. Now, how does that work? It's a prayer. That's all it is. Jesus, help me. Cover me in your blood, my mind, my conscience, my family, my children, my body, my life. Cleanse me. Let's bow our heads then this morning.